Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with Junior Renee Bobrun. If you're a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you to this ongoing conversation that is now a year old. We have over 80-plus episodes, so please feel free to go back and review and listen and and reflect on those things that have been spoken about so you can have a greater understanding of what this platform is. I do my best, well, I will get better at it, but as of right now, I do my best to reintroduce concepts that I've that I've spoken about previously. And that may be a bit cumbersome or maybe a bit annoying to maybe people who have listened to me often, and it may seem as if I'm just repeating myself, but I am repeating myself, not because I don't have new ideas, not because I don't have new things to say, but I'm repeating myself to a degree because I'm introducing myself to new people every time I do a particular show. Now, that's not to say that I've received any complaints. No one has said, hey, June, you keep saying this over and over again. We get it. That hasn't occurred. I'm just saying it because I know there have been times where I've been speaking and I'm saying to myself, why am I mentioning that over again? I don't need to know. They know that already. But then I also have to keep in mind, I'm not just speaking to the same people I spoke to in the previous episode. There are new, and hopefully, presumptively, that there are new people listening um, every single time I publish. There's at l- I'm hoping that there's at least one person that'll be listening for the first time, whether it's shared by someone that's a previous listener or it's something that someone has discovered on their own, regardless um, so I will introduce concepts. So, you know, you guys, but I would like you guys to, uh, definitely, if you like what you hear, go back. And even if you don't like what, what I speak about in a particular episode, why not check out something, check out my stance or perspective or whatever it may not be my stance, but, or whatever perspective I decided to employ or input into a particular, uh, conversation, please feel free. If you are a returning listener, Thank you again for lending me your ears, lending me your minds one more time. Um, If you have any questions, concerns, criticisms, kudos, opportunities, sponsorship opportunities, interview opportunities, donations, anything you want to talk about, anything, please feel free to email me at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. That is whose, W-H-O-S-E, whoseworldisthis21. 21 at gmail.com and also feel free to follow us on Instagram at whose world is this 2021 slightly different from the email the Instagram page is whose world is this 2021 uh t- reason why it's 2021 is because I started this in February of 2021 so that's why there's 21 and 2021 in both the gram page and the uh the gmail anyway like I've said before if you're looking for any journals, daily journals that you'd like to write in, gratitude, the 365-day gratitude journal. If you need a training log, whether you're male or female, fitness training log, decorative notebooks, so on and so forth, please check out one of our best sponsors, ChavezHouse.com. That's Chavez with an S, by the way, ChavezHouse.com. Look for all your literary needs, your book needs, supplies, things of that nature. Give it as a gift for yourself if you're an adult. You can give it to a gift for a college student, teenager, doesn't matter. Gratitude journals for all ages. You can also go on Amazon and check it out. Amazon, you can put in the search engine, Chavez House Publishing. Remember, that's Chavez with an S. You go to Chavez House Publishing, 
and then you uh, look for all the uh, products that are published and created by Lenore Batista or Batista. All righty. Please check that out. They're friends to the platform, so to speak. Okay. Good friends to the platform. Um, what are we going to talk about today? I had a very provocative episode, I think. I spoke about Roe v. Wade, the last one I did. Uh, I think I don't know if it's the last episode I did, but the episode I did that was uh, titled uh, My Body, My Choice, Really? With a question mark. I thought about that title for a long time before I did it. I, pub I um, recorded it off the top, as I do with most of my episodes, just speaking about things. But then when it came to the title, I didn't know what to call it. Do I call it Roe v. Wade Revisited? It was like, I can't say it's revisited because I only mentioned Roe v. Wade. I didn't revisit the whole uh, suit and the court case, so to speak. So I can't call it revisited. That would be misleading. I spoke more about the my body, my choice and whose choice and who's involved in the, you know, abortion conversation. Who gets to have input, right? And uh, so when I put my body, my choice, question mark, I mean, my body, my choice, really, question mark, I said, ugh, uh, do, June, do you want that smoke? Do you really want to do this? And I did it, and I published it, and I put it, and I shared it with females that I know. I shared it other places, forums, and the response has been, <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's a serious thing, but the response has been varied, and I like it. Because I tell you, I, 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 I come one, come all as far as comments are concerned. But today, I'm going to revisit what I visited with then, and then some. I'm going to read a paper that has been, that's been submitted to Congress.org back in, I think this is maybe two, 2015. Okay, Congress.org. I'm going to read verbatim a couple of things from a paper. I'm just reading. I'm not doing this to respond to any of the emails. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm probably going to do a response to the emails, which I like to do. Of people, if you're new to the channel, if you're new to the platform, I'm sorry. What I like to do is when I assert something or I put something out there to get people's perspectives on it, oftentimes, um, if necessary, depending on the responses, um, to that particular uh, 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 episode, I may do an episode where I speak about things that were discussed via my friends, exchanges that I've had via email, and say, wait, this brings about another conversation that I feel needs to be addressed further. And I'll do a part two. I'll do an addendum. I may address it early on in a particular episode and then move on to whatever other topic I'd like to. So I do that. I do that often, oftentimes. And that that allows you to understand that um includes the people that are listening into this what i like to call this conversation this is an exchange because i'll speak again i'll say hey well people have brought up this that and a third and i'd like to address that on a whole just in case others are out there thinking the same thing or whatever and then we can bring about and introduce new information to the conversation i like to do that it's just me so it's a revisit and sometimes we visit revi we revisit we expand we clarify because maybe I, I might have said something and I might not have effectively articulated what I meant. And I'm saying, hey, listen, I think 
what I said was misconstrued or I did an inadequate job of communicating it. So let me readdress it and, and find a better way to communicate it. So that's what we do here from time to time. But this, what I'm going to do today is something I haven't done before. I'm going to read verbatim. Verbatim. These are not my words that I'm, I'm going to let you know when I'm going to give my words. But I'm letting you know right now, I, these are not my words. These words are from a paper that was published to Congress.org. I'm sorry, Congress.gov in 2015. And it has to do with the abortion Roe v. Wade uh, uh, issue, which is going on right now on the news. And, you know, there's, there's a big uproar about, you know, Supreme Court justices speaking and saying that Roe v. Wade could be and, and in some respects should be overturned. That's, that's the narrative. Okay. Which is very interesting. Yeah, that's explosive. That's quite telling. But in any case, it's been leaked. And wow, that's a rough leak. I would hate to be a SCOTUS right now at this particular moment. But in any case, <clears throat> this is important. It's dealing with the rights. Men, women, fetus, society. What does it mean? So from right now, as of right now, I'm going to start reading from this paper. And then I will comment afterwards because i did actually write note a couple of little notes after you know while, while i was reading it little things that i wanted to address so afterwards i will be commenting and speaking and expanding on some of the things that were spoken about here okay so these are just excerpts from this particular paper that i'm reading from congress.org in 2015 all right starting now it says here since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, over 54 million fetuses have been aborted in centers around the United States of America. Okay? That's statement number one. Statement number two. Disproportionately, the leading consumer of the abortionist services is the African-American female. According to the 2011 abortion surveillance report issued by the Center for Disease Control, black women make up 14% of the childbearing population, yet obtained 36.2% of reported abortions. Black women have the highest abortion ratio in the, in the country, with 474 abortions per 1,000 live births percentages at these levels illustrate that more than 19 million black fetuses have been aborted since 1973 okay now we have a basis of what we're speaking about here okay this is june talking all right i'm gonna move down further down because i kind of highlighted a couple of things that i thought may be important because a lot of this is just stats 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 stat. it goes to speak about richard nixon in 1972 this is from richard nixon in quotes recordings of him speaking to people in his in the white house this is white house talk and i quote a majority of people in Colorado voted for abortion. I think a majority of people in Michigan are for abortion. I think in both cases, well, certainly in Michigan, they will vote for abortion because they think that's what's going to be aborted. Generally are the little black bastards. 
President of the United States, 1972, Richard Nixon. Okay? So, that's what he's saying as I move forward. He said, also, that the genesis of his speaking were from recommendations from the 1969 Population Control Commission headed by John D. Rockefeller. And it was in the spirit of these sentiments that Cecil Richards, or Cecil Richards, president of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, invited the Republican Party to return to its family planning roots. Believing that Planned Parenthood no longer needed to hide the population control impetus, so now they could use abortion as an actual woman's rights issue. Okay? Moving forward. Margaret Sanger, if anyone knows, she's one of the mothers of Planned Parenthood. And here we go. It says here, it is no accident that abortion has become so deeply entrenched within the black community in the United States because Margaret Sanger, the founder of the American birth control movement, was a leading spokesman and activist in promoting and controlling the birth rate among blacks and others she considered to be genetically inferior. An avid supporter of eugenics, Sanger became a formidable force when pushing her quote-unquote Negro project designed to employ black leaders to promote first birth control and later abortion as viable options for family planning. Okay. She favored the Malthusian branch of eugenics, frequently saying the genetic makeup of the poor and minorities, for example, was inferior. Sanger believed it was necessary to reduce the birth rate among the diseased, the sickly, the poverty-stricken, and antisocial classes, anti elements unable to provide for themselves and the burden of which we are all <clears throat> forced to carry. Okay, moving forward a little bit, moving forward. Okay. So the reason why I'm bringing this stuff up, ladies and gentlemen, is because many people don't know the, 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 the origins of much of the abortion conversation in the United States of America. Um, they don't know, uh, uh, when were the call to action? Why in many communities? And I'm just bringing this up as a narrower uh, conversation. But it says here, 62% of Planned Parenthood surgical abortion facilities are within walking distance of relatively high black populations. Okay. 79% of Planned Parenthood surgical are within walking distance of black and brown populations. Okay, just saying, just little, little, little tidbits here. Sanger's Negro Project in 1939 was intended to stop the growth of the black population in America. Okay, the Life Issues Institute 2005 study found that 78% of, you know, abortion facilities were in black and Hispanic neighborhoods. Okay. It says here abortion is the leading cause of death for African-American fetuses. In 2008, black women had abortions at a rate of 3.4 times higher than white women. In 2008, black women received 30% of the abortions, even though African-Americans are only 12.6 to 13% of the population. 
Over their lifetime, black women average 1.6 more pregnancies than white women, but are five times more likely to have a pregnancy that ends in an abortion. Okay? That's part of the conversation. Whether we want to have that to be part of the conversation or not. <laughs> Whether it's comfortable or not, it is part of the conversation. So another part of the conversation is the economic part of the conversation. Another consequence of abortion is a disastrous shift in the supply-demand equation that underlies our economy. 55 million abortions represents a huge loss in consumer demand. This 55 million is the total amount, guys, I'm saying. This is June talking. It's the total amount. It's not just black women. And people may be saying, well, why is June coming down on? No, 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 I'm not. Looking at the numbers. Where, okay. 55 million abortions represents a huge loss in consumer demand. If those babies had been born, our fast-paced economy would still be going strong. Those we aborted were the future consumers, producers, parents, and taxpayers. We needed to keep our economy going. The abortion boom is also behind the crisis in Social Security and Medicare. In 1940, we had 145 people in the workforce for every person on Social Security. Those out there who don't know, people who are working are the ones who put in the money into the Social Security. So people who are no longer work, who've already worked and retired, actually have pensions and social. I'm sorry, actually have Social Security money coming in SSN checks. So then 1940, 145 people in the workforce for every person on Social Security. By 1952, 12 years later, the ratio had dropped from 145 to 1 to 16 to 1. It is now 3 to 1. In less than 20 years, it will be only 2 to 1. Okay, that's another thing. Even before these shortages can be fully realized, the immediate impact of increased sexual activity leading to abortion can be seen when examining sexually transmitted disease in America. Millions are affected by sexually transmitted diseases resulting from their own poor choices and actions. In fact, according to the American Social Health Association, more than half of all Americans will contract an STD or an STI in their lifetime. There are 65 million Americans living with an STD or STI, and there are over 19 that are curable. More than $8 billion is spent each year to diagnose and treat STDs and STI, and this figure does not even include the most dangerous of them, which is HIV AIDS. In fact, one of these foundations warns that sexually transmitted disease are at epidemic proportions. Half of the 10 most frequently reported infections to the center of disease control and prevention are STDs. Did you hear that last one, people? Half of the 10 most frequently reported infections to the CDC are STDs. However, the Scope of the epidemic and its impact is often underestimated by the public and acknowledged by many health care professionals. Besides the cost to diagnose and treat these infections, there are other indirect costs that could be eradicated immediately simply by curbing sexual activity. Remember, we spoke about recreational, how procreation has become recreation more in the West more than any other time in our history. Now in the West, in the mid to late 20th century and now in the 21st century. 
Besides the cost to diagnose and treat these infections, there are other indirect costs that could be eradicated immediately simply by curbing sexual activity. It is only through sex that these diseases are contracted. Abstinence, while not curing the disease, would immediately stop their spread among unwed couples. Our economy's 55 million missing people has certainly caused a significant decline in the tax base. Blah, 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 blah. Why am I bringing this up, people? Bringing up Margaret Sanger, which people have probably heard about. She's been used in, I want to call it in conspiratorial circles for many years. But the funny thing is, there's a parallel between um, people that identify as black conspiracy theorists and people who identify as, as Anglo or white supremacists. They both hate Margaret Sanger to a certain degree because they both hate abortion clinics. Why? Because the white supremacist believes there aren't enough white people that you do not go. That's why most of the abortion terrorists and that were bombing abortion clinics and killing abortion doctors, doctors who performed abortions, they were, you know, represented either Christian fundamentalism or they were part of a sect of maybe the ultra, ultra, ultra right, white nationalistic ring or that sect. And they believe that you cannot kill white babies because it was like killing a little Jesus, a new God. You, you, you couldn't do that. You know, it's life is at conception, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. So it was a Christian fundamentalism interwoven and intermingled and melanged into a certain white nationalistic rhetoric, American rhetoric. And they, they you know, they kind of mix it all in. And then the black conspiracy theorists go, well, listen, you got 65 to 79% of these clinics are within a, a two-mile walking distance. You have food deserts, but yet you found the way to put doctors and surgeons here for abortions. Don't have hospitals, don't have an ER, don't have a supermarket worth a damn, just bodegas, you know, selling potato chips and, and, and nitrate cold cuts, nitrate filled laden cold cuts and sugar water. But yet somehow you guys found a way to, to stock a surgeon, a medical assistant and a nurse and such a, in these clinics. So they're saying, hey, what's going on? Is there a eugenics protocol going on? And if we're going to talk about that, let's talk about it briefly. So now I'm going to talk now because I just I didn't want to bore you guys with reading this 23 page study. And I want to talk about eugenics and what that means, actually, and what it means. What's the definition of eugenics? And eugenics, by definition, is the study of how to arrange reproduction within a human population to increase the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. Okay? But eugenics became increasingly discredited as unscientific and racially biased during the 20th century, especially after the adoption of its doctrines by the Nazis in order to justify their treatments of Jews, disabled people, and other minority groups. So the only reason why eugenics became out of favor was because the Nazis took it and said, huh, those eugenicists in the United States and Britain are onto something. I've said it before. There have been many, many Nazis when interviewed. They have said on plenty of occasions, we do not know why the United States has gotten involved and is at war with us. We don't know why the U.S. is here and is not on our side. 
all we did was adopt their literature to our specific situation. What the blueprint on what they were saying and doing to the blacks and everyone else, the sterilization techniques, the studies of STDs, unwanted experiments, ripping out the genitalia of, 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 of black women. After they have a baby, they made sure they couldn't have another. All of these things to try to curtail that population of what was considered undesirables in the United States. We were just using those techniques in Germany for our version of undesirables as well. Why are you mad at us? So this is very important. Said this study on how, and remember, the study of how to arrange reproduction within a human population to increase the occurrence of heritable characteristics that are regarded as desirable. Who gets to regard that? And it only fell out of favor when the Nazis decided to take it and go ham with it and decided that exterminating Jews was some sort of good idea. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now we have to back off. But one of the fathers of, I want to call modern eugenics, eugenics in the United States, his name was Frederick Friedrich Osborne, Princeton grad. And he said something that was very interesting. He said he was an admirer of the reforms instituted in 1930s Sweden through the efforts of economist Gunnar Myrdal and his wife. Osborne emphasized the eugenic potential of extended state support and child care and recreation and blah, 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 and this, that, and the third. But he also said, I am very happy with the eugenics program in Nazi Germany. It is the most important experiment which has ever been tried. That's from Friedrich Osborne. He said something, though, that I, I would like to speak about. He said that what he wants to do is a means of stimulating fertility among desired populations. He argued that the aim of eugenics should be to ensure that every child was wanted. Hmm. He argued that the aim of eugenics should be to ensure that every child was wanted. Osborne believed that in this system, which he called the true freedom of parenthood, the parents most capable of rearing children would be likelier to have more. That complicates the eugenics conversation a bit, doesn't it? Depending depending if you're someone like me who from his mid early to mid teens or mid to late teens when when I heard about eugenics it was always told to me through the guise of a Margaret Sanger of an Adolf Hitler of a of a Goebbels you know of a of of an Osborne his name has come up years and years ago in my life as uh, these people that were trying to get rid of blacks because I don't know if you know in this country, they sterilized people with Down syndrome in this country. They sterilized black people in this country. They sterilized many, many groups. They sterilized poor rural whites oftentimes in this country saying that we don't need them, that we should find a way to breed maybe a couple of them to be our workers. That's what, that's what, that's what this, the elites in this country believe that we just breed some workers and then the rest of us will breed amongst ourselves and, you know, we'll figure it out. 
And we have to ask ourselves, how many of us are eugenicists today? And if we think about it, if we go back to what, if we revisit what we discussed in the My Body, My Choice, really, what did I talk about? When royalty, royal families, oftentimes they were all related somehow, some way. Cousins would marry to keep the bloodline alive so they could maintain what they considered to be purity amongst their lineage. Is that not a form of eugenics? Really quickly, is that not a form of eugenics? Because eugenics by definition is what? Let's go back. How to arrange reproduction within a human population to increase the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. Heritable. Heritable. Inherited characteristics regarded as desirable. So if a family says, I have a daughter or I have a son. Let's say, let's say I, I'm in a family in, I don't know, doesn't matter. Doesn't even matter if it's a poor family or a rich family. I'm a farming family somewhere in Africa. Okay? Come from a farming family. And I have a son. And I'm grooming that son to be a good hunter. At the time, let's say I'm in, I'm, 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 this is before universities. Let's say this is pre-university time, pre-go to a school to get a skill time. What I'm teaching my agrarian son is to be someone who knows how to hunt, someone who knows how to farm, someone who respects the traditions of our culture. Someone who can be a protector and provider within the ranks of our society. And I groom him from birth. And the elders in this community groom him from birth to be that. And I know that the only way that our civilization and our cultures and our traditions survive is if I make, is if my son becomes the kind of human being that can go find a mate or we get him a mate and he procreates with that mate and he's able to protect and provide competently, proficiently, efficiently for that family. And he will be able to take care of me as well because I will be older. I'm going to give him what I know. Everyone around me is going to give them what they know. And they're going to try to make a better human being. Because all that we've experienced and had to go through trials and tribulations to learn, we will give to him sooner. So that way he will improve our lot on this planet. He will be evolved based on the fact that he'll be getting the information sooner than we did. He will improve upon our society. That's the goal. Heritable characteristics that will be regarded as desirable. We put it in that boy. And guess what? My neighbor across the street who has a daughter. The father and the mother are doing the same thing, giving her heritable characteristics regarded as desirable so she can be a proper mother because she's the first teacher. She's the first nurse, the first counselor, the first cook of that child. And together. So then these families, they say, you have a son. Ah, awesome. I am going to betroth my daughter to your son. And then that father of the son, because I'm going to promise my son to your daughter. And together, they create a civilization. They create a community. They create a village. And the village 
community, community, civilization. And the human race expands, 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 expands from there. It's not he's cute, she's cute. It's not give away my goods, you know, flippantly or randomly with a set of unmeasurable characteristics. Procreation was part of human, that it was arranged, the, the, it was a, an arranged reproduction. Is there an argument that if we dispel and dismiss the racial biases and et cetera, et cetera, from the conversation of who's genetically inferior or superior, let's just speak about it from family perspectives. Our human family could not have survived if it were not for that rigid arrangement of reproduction of our ancestry. Those arrangements, whether they were in Africa, whether they're in Asia, whether they're in the Middle East, whether they rich families, poor families, royalty, regardless. And guess what? They were suitable and unsuitables. Let's just say the child, your son, my son in Africa was not promised to a daughter yet. And all of a sudden I'm looking around and I'm saying, hmm, if such and such has a daughter, if that family has a daughter, I don't think we're going to promise our son to that family because they don't have the suitable characteristics. The father is lazy and the mom is a bit whimsical. The father doesn't know how to hunt. He's singing and dancing or he's just... He's drinking too much of that that um, that nectar from the tree over there that we use in ceremonies. He seems to be over there a lot as opposed to being a fierce warrior, protector, hunter, gatherer that we need him to be. So I don't know if I'm going to because the habits, the heritable characteristics that that child is going to inherit from its family, I think are flawed are flawed and I don't think that they're going to bring about the desired outcomes that we want to keep our species and our community going. Whoa. So I had to revisit myself, how I looked at eugenics just from a familial, a personal perspective, not instituting any biases based on race or class or, 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 or religion or anything else. Just on certain measurables, not on biases, but on probabilities. And I thought to myself, our society, our human family on a smaller scale has benefited from a form of eugenics, which they call, um, I think they call it a positive eugenics where you're paying more attention to making sure that people with positive attributes get together desirable attributes that can bring about families that these people should be having children now you can be sitting out there and going well who gets to say who gets to have freedom and to do and who gets to be suitable or not as a village i guess we all do right let's let's talk about it if you're out there right now and you're a mother and you're listening to me right and your son is 20 years old, 21 years old. He's in college, maybe his second year. And he brings this girl home. And he brings this girl home. You don't like how what she's wearing. You don't like her manners. You don't like how she conducts herself. 
and then you find out, you know, or, or she came to the door with a reputation. You found out her name and you go, oh, you're such and such. And you realize that she comes from a family that um, the mother isn't doing very well. The father isn't doing very well. And what I mean by that is they suffer from a certain level of dysfunction. They're fighting in the streets. Maybe the father is, 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 a, is, a, is a narcotic abuser and the mother just came out of some sort of situation where she maybe broke a law and she just came home from prison. And now you're noticing that you've heard stories about this young girl, that she's going down the same path as her parents with those heritable characteristics. And your child brings this, this, this girl home and says, hey, mom, meet, meet such and such. We've been hanging out. And he brings that girl to your dinner table. When that girl leaves, mom, what are you going to say? With all that you know. And, and then you realize that her reputation has preceded her and she's lived down to her reputation or lived up, however you want to look at it. She is all that people have said she is and worse because you've gotten to experience it firsthand. What do you say? Hmm? Do you say, don't bring that girl back in my house? Or do, possibly, or do you say, listen, we need to have a conversation about what is suitable and what is unsuitable. You know that that girl has been involved in A, B, C, D, and E, right? You know that her mom and her dad have been involved in A, B, C, and D, right? And you know that there's a high probability that based on the fact that these are the two people that raised her. I'm sorry, it's, it's not, it's, I'm not saying it's a certainty, people out there. You don't need something to be a certainty as a high probability. If you leave the house, if someone were to tell you that there was a 65% chance that if you left the house today, you would be struck by lightning and killed, would you leave the house? Just 65%. No, I'm sorry. Let's say 60%. Would you leave the house? And it didn't matter if you were in a car, if you were wearing lightning-proof materials, whatever that is. Didn't matter what you were doing. You would be struck by lightning. If, if, so, if beyond a shadow of a doubt, you knew that if 60% of, if you left your house and 60%, there was a 60% probability that you would be struck by lightning and killed, would you leave the house today? Answer is no. You wouldn't leave the house, even though there's a full 40% that you, that you'd be okay. Would you take that quote unquote chance? Possibly, probably not. This is the same thing. So people out there that may be like, well, June, you know, well, you know, just because their parents went through it and just because she made a couple of mistakes, it doesn't mean that she's showing a high propensity probability. We are a species of patterns. That's how you evolve by looking at patterns. When animals hear a certain sound, they're like, hmm, through experiences, that sound means something that I don't want to get near me is going to get near me. I'm going in the opposite direction of that sound. We're going by probabilities and likelihood, high likelihoods. So there's a high likelihood that this girl isn't suitable for your second year college, uh, 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 nose clean, upright young man. Right, ladies? Gentlemen, you have a daughter, a goody two shoes, studies straight A's since the first grade, never had a trouble in the world, she plays piano, plays violin, she reads and writes music, she's in the math club, the science club, the English club, she helps out little poor children, she saves rabbits and birds, she plants trees and saves the birds and the bees. You, my, 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 my man, you have raised <laughs> probably a perfect human being. Never a problem. 
you come home, the, your car door slams in the driveway and she comes running out with cookies. Daddy, I got you. I baked your favorite cookie today while, while I was studying for my trigonometry exam. And she was only eight years old when she did that. Woo. My man, you're lucky. And then she's 16 years old. She's on the honor roll. She's about to graduate high school at 16. Every Ivy League school in the nation has given her a full or partial scholarship. She's on her way to being one of the one of the best of us in this society. Just a good person, hardworking, multitasker, using a lot of her mind and equity. Yeah, high achiever. She doesn't even know she's high achieving. She's just doing. She sets out to do it and it gets done. There's a lot of people like that, by the way. And kudos to them. And then she comes home, 16 years old, five months away from graduating high school and going off to Stanford or Harvard or Yale or wherever the heck she wants to go because she, can, she wants to take a year and go study in the United Nations internship. Everything is available to her at 16, 17 years old. Whew. And she comes home with, with some dude he walks in your house. He's got a tattoo on his forehead. He's looking kind of crazy and shifty eyed. And he says, and you ask him a couple of questions like, oh, um, so how are you, young man? And instead of giving you a handshake and looking you in your eye, he gives you some sort of soul brother pound and pats you on the back like, I. Right? And then he flops down on his on your couch. And he's looking at your young daughter as if she's a piece of pepperoni pizza <laughs> and you say well you know what do you do for what do you do well i just dropped out of high school you know i'm just trying to find myself huh how old are you sir well i'm you know i just turned 18 why'd you drop out of high school yeah because it's, it's just wasn't for me and he's like you know what i'm gonna be honest with you. i didn't get i didn't drop out i got kicked out you got kicked out yeah i got kicked out i got kicked out what, why'd you get kicked out? Well, I got kicked out because, you know, you know, I was kind of, you know, I got caught, you know, you know, sniffing some substances in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the school bathroom. And, you know, so they, they expelled me and said I can't come back here ever. They banned me and such, et cetera. And, and I have a little bit. I got a court case, too, because it was possession of an illegal substance. So I have that going on. And, you know, and then, you know, my dad's in my dad's in jail and my mom's been, you know, in and out of some things. So, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what my next step is. But I love your daughter and I'm going to take care of her and I'm going to be the best man that she needs me to be. Hey, dad. What do you think about that? Does that does that young man have the uh, heritable characteristics that you regard as desirable to to uh, 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 promote your your your, um, your family to make sure that you have uh, stable grandkids and, and great grandkids, etc., etc.? I'm just saying. You're probably going to tell excuse yourself, go to your bedroom and take a deep breath and not reach for your shotgun because you know if you try to chase this boy out, you're just going to chase your woman, uh, chase your daughter to him on some Romeo and Juliet type of scenario because she's going to say, I've been doing everything you asked of me. I haven't done anything wrong. Don't you trust me? And you're going to deal with that, right? So you can't just kick this boy out. You have to be very, very careful. But you know, and I know, 
that boy is not a, allowed to be your daughter's boyfriend, husband. You do not want them to engage in any sort of activity that will lead her to be aligned with him in any way, shape or form. You know who he is? He's her charity case. She's supposed to be teaching him how to read and write and get on the right track as a client, as, a, as an after school program, as a volunteer. They're not supposed to be in a romantic relationship. She's, he's supposed to be someone, as far as you're concerned, someone who she puts on her college application and resume as her, one of her success stories. There was this guy, he was 18, he came from a broken home and he was going down the wrong path, but I showed him how to get himself work ready, college ready, life ready, blah, blah, blah. That's who he is. You don't mind that dynamic, but as far as romance, union, absolutely not. Is that not a form of eugenics as it is rigidly defined when you take out racial bias and anything of that, any, all of those things? Are we not to a certain degree using a form of eugenics when we decide who is and who isn't suitable to be parts of our family? And have we benefited as a human species from that eugenics? from arranging reproduction within the human population to increase the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. Now, calling someone undesirable because they come from a, from a, from a race is not a measurable. It's not a measurable. But if someone comes to you and says, I'm not working, I'm not doing this, I don't know where I see myself in five years, I'm just trying to get this, that, and the third, and blah, 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 then you're saying to yourself, ugh, I don't know. And if you're a girl, if you're a boy, and if your parents have taught you early enough what to and what to look for and what to avoid. Because first and foremost, it's about what maintaining the human species and make sure it's not extinct and it's not left to the, the those with the uh, uh, the most undesirable characteristics. So when. Um, Frederick Osborne says that parents most capable of rearing children would be likelier to have more. And he argues that the aim of eugenics should be to ensure that every child was wanted. That means there would be no such thing as an unwanted pregnancy because we were arranging production based on the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. Like I just read this not too long before I started speaking. So I'm galvanizing this in my mind as we're speaking about it. Because for me personally, I've had my own reasons why I've had my ish. My, I, have, I have my own reasons and my own reasoning when it comes to the abortion conversation whether it's reproductive rights, my body, my choice, who gets to have input after it's put in a woman, et cetera, et cetera. I have my own. And it's been informed to a certain degree by my negative outlook on eugenics. Okay? My negative outlook on eugenics. Not how it was, uh, as opposed to what eugenics actually is. 
I've looked at eugenics from the from the guise of how we deviated from certain philosophies within eugenics. When we say, oh, you're black, oh, you're from Detroit, you're from Brooklyn, you're from Queens, you're from this one, that one, oh, okay. You don't come from a higher caste. Oh, your caste can't intermingle with my caste, et cetera, et cetera. When we create these social castes based on non-measurables, based on ego, based on avarice, not based on measurables, okay? That is not eugenics to a certain degree. Heritable characteristics to make sure that every child is wanted. And Friedrich Osborne is no hero to the people. I'm just saying that, you know, all I'm saying is that there are certain, there are very important aspects to a lot of the research, which I've actually bought a book on it um, that should be, I, I, I have to read more on it because at the end of the day, I've said it and it's been said before, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are the average of that. That's your group. You look at the five people you spend the most time with and you'll be looking in the mirror. Even if you think you're better than them or this, that, and the third, you're looking in the mirror. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's who you are. If you are 20 years old and you look at all the 20-year-olds that you're surrounded by, you are their average. You may say, all, all of my friends are crazy. You're crazy. Because you're crazy enough to hang with these crazy people. You're crazy. Hmm? You ever heard that saying, if you're the smartest person at the table, get up and go to another table? Consistent. That's evolution. Because then you, you go into a table where you can learn something from. If you're the smartest person at the table, move and go to another. We are the five people. We are the average. I always say we are the five things that we do, the five things that we say to ourselves, the five people that we hang out with most often. We are all of these things that create our heritable, uh, create our characteristics. So our families, so when families got together, it didn't matter if it was royalty or rich, wealthy, propertied families or it was farm, agrarian families or, or when we were in a state of nature, this was going on right after a state of nature immediately preceding it where families were saying instinctively who gets to procreate mammals in the in the jungle in the wild we spoke about this the female of the species when she's in heat is going to choose instinctively the most capable male the, she does it matter how tough all the others were? She chooses, no, him, that one. No matter how tough that bear or that lion or that hippopotamus or that bull elephant is or that bull, that long horn, doesn't matter. She's, she doesn't want him. He goes, nope, 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 not that. So it's interesting how instinctively creatures in the wild seem to do a better job of making decisions then human beings, when they're left to their own devices and make the decisions on mates without their parents and their elders' input, without people that um, age them by 20, 30 years, 20, 30, 40 years, their elders. If you're an 18, 19-year-old, I'm pretty sure that a 38-year-old knows a little bit more than you do, or a 48-year-old, or a 58-year-old. You might want to take their input. 
it's interesting to me that here we are in this time in the 21st century that children are deciding that suicide is a better option than living. Why? What's going on in Western society in epic proportions is not being addressed correctly. We're blaming the internet. We're blaming social media. We're blaming the, 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 we're blaming Mark Zuckerberg. We're blaming the gram. We're blaming TikTok. We're not looking far enough to see that about the heritable characteristics. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. What are you doing and what are you teaching your child? What's going on? Who made these decisions? Who, who, whose input was a part of this coupling? Because when someone has a child, this society, guess what, people? That ain't your child. You have a child that's not your child. What, what, what do I mean by that? It's part of the human family. And if it takes a village, then that means that we all are affected by your child when your child becomes an adult. Yeah. If your child decides to be a doctor, a good doctor, we benefit. If your child decides to be a police officer, a good pol police officer, we benefit. Your child decides to be a businessman, a business person, a good business person, a politician, a good politician, we all benefit. But what if the opposite occurs? What if instead of giving birth to Albert Einstein, you gave birth to Adolf Hitler? Hmm? That doesn't happen by chance, by the way. Okay, it's not, it's not a roll of the dice. And if it's a roll of the dice, there are probabilities and measurables. It's not just a random gamble. Even a roll of the dice has certain metrics involved. There are only so many numbers. It's not one in a million. There are variables that if you roll the dice enough, you will get to understand the patterns of, okay, which numbers are going to come forward and which combinations are more likely and least likely to appear. And that occurs too when we're coupling for, a, for life and for procreation, when we're coupling. So this idea out there, you know, like we were talking, revisiting the my body, my choice. It sounds ridiculous if you look at it throughout human history. It hasn't been a woman's choice and it hasn't been a boy's choice. It's been a village decision. That's how we got here. Now, people can say, oh, well, we've evolved past that. Evolve is an interesting word. Because evolve oftentimes, you know, is a misnomer. People think evolve is synonymous with progress. Now, would you consider where we are progress? Because hmm? evolution is like you develop more into a more complex form. And maybe that's what evolution is. Because by definition, ev evolution means it's, you go from something that's very simple to something that's very complicated, to a more complex form has more layers, it becomes more complicated. And maybe we've evolved to something that is just more complex and more complicated and we need to simplify it. Like I said, I'm not saying I agree with this, I'm just introducing it. Because it was simpler when families decided. Now, a woman would look at that man and go, oh my gosh, he looks like a giraffe, yuck. I, you mean I got to have babies with that? And the families are looking at her like, it ain't about all that. It's about the species. 
It's about us, family, everything. This is part of the global. This is this is the sacrifice we make being on the planet. It's it's trade-offs and compromises. That's what it is. And then the guy, all of a sudden, you know, got this strapping young hunter gatherer. He's got abs. He's looking like a Michael B. Jordan with Jason Momoa walking out there just like, yeah, with his spear in his hand. Like, yeah, where's my bride? And they show him some Shrekian. Like, this is your bride. And he's like, what? Wait, wait, I'm the, I'm, what? And they're like, yeah, she's the best, most suitable for what the, the society in our village needs. That's your wife, bruh. That's what it is. And he's like, okay. And they have babies. And she uses whatever uh, uh, heritable characteristics that were desirable that the whole village has decided that she, she is a suitable mate. She may not be the prettiest. She may not be any of those things attractive, but this is what it is. And she's looking at him like, yes, I done hit the man lotto, whatever. <laughs> right. But it's what it is. She looks like, you know, she could look like, uh, who's a, who's a girl that I used to think was very attractive back in the days. What's her name from the pussycat dolls, Nicole Scherzinger. She had her moment back in the, I think it's mid late, late nineties, early two thousands. She was like, I was like, wow, she's awesome. You know, so you take her, but yet she's going out with like, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know, some, sh like I said, some Shrekian and he's looking at her like, yes. And she's like, oh my God. But yet for whatever reason, he encompasses the protector provider. He is that he is that he has the ideals. He has the heritable characteristics that will lead to desired outcomes, desirables. And guess what? There's a high likelihood that they're right. And it does. Right. But I notice now we have 54 percent divorce rates and then we have 80 percent of black babies are born out of wedlock as if they're born at all. And it's like, wait, you have a higher propensity of juvenile delinquency based on the Department of Justice. If, you, if the child is born out of wedlock or uh, from to a single parent, whoa, there's lower IQ scores, lower test scores, a higher propensity for that child in turn to have unwanted pregnancies or get someone pregnant, um, a less likelihood of graduating from college and entering into gold collar professions like doctor, accountant, lawyer, engineers, blah, blah, blah. You just lowered the like all of this becomes a thing because guess what, mom? Guess what, dad? You know what? Um, guess what, mom? You're not going to be able to take put your kid in the schools and the this and these programs when it's just you trying to make ends meet because I could do it by myself. Or, or yeah, I'm a woman. Hear me roar. Sex in the city. Let's just treat sex as some sort of other commodity. And it is a commodity, but it's been devalued. Let's just use it whimsically and randomly. Guess what? And, and what you're doing is you're whimsically and randomly putting babies on the planet that are, according to Frederick Osborne, he says, we want to ensure that the babies that are born are wanted. But you're bringing babies onto the planet that are unwanted. And then they guess what they start to do. They start to do unwanted and undesirable things that that translate into illegal things. And then there goes your bloodline. There it goes. You don't become one of the powerful families. You don't get to control your destiny to a degree. It's just now you are beholden to the state apparatus. There's a reason why there are parents out there that are on two-year waiting lists to get their children into $20,000 a year kindergartens. Why? That $20,000 a year kindergarten and preschool for a four-year-old, you know what that does? That gets them into the Ivy League. 
You know what that does when they get into the Ivy League? That means you get into the $20,000 a year kindergarten. So then your child gets into the $30,000 a year elementary school and then the $36,000 a year high school that ensures that they get into the the $100,000 a year or $78,000 a year Ivy League school. But guess what? The parent is not doing that just to say that their child went to an Ivy League school. The parent is trying to increase the likelihood that their child and their family is aligned with families that have effectively shown that they know how to procure, attain, maintain, and sustain resources. It's just like the farm. It's just like agrarian Africa, the Middle East, in Asia. It's the same exact format. It's not, this, not, just, not just so you can tell every friend of yours that your child got accepted to Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Oxford, Cambridge. Uh, um, um, uh, you know, no, that, that's Duke. No, that's not what that's for. It's to make sure that you're aligning. Your child is aligning. If you have a baby girl, if you have a girl, she's aligning with the boys who come from families that have shown heritable characteristics that desirables, that they know how to attain, maintain, and sustain resources in the form of money and contacts, education. And then that kid has those characteristics and he, there's a higher propensity that your child is going to be choosing from them. You are, all you're trying to do is invest in the increasing probabilities. That's it. Those parents are engaged in eugenics. And they're not wrong. The parents and the families in gypsy villages, when they would say, okay, your kid, you know, give me three goats, a piece of land for my daughter. And this, I, I know it sounds crazy. Like, oh, we're, we're trading cows and goats for women now. Whoa, wait a minute. Hear me out. <laughs> Hear me out. Slow down. Don't go there. Be easy. What I'm saying is, it was a well thought out system between families who gets lost in the shuffle, the boy and the girl. They don't get to, quote unquote, choose who they want. Or maybe the parent does like we all do, like we all do. When we go to a supermarket, we think we're making a choice. Yeah, it sounds good. The appearance of freedom. That's what we have in this country. We have the appearance of freedom. When we go to the voting booth, we have the appearance of freedom. We didn't choose who these nominees were. We didn't choose who got the money from the DNC or the RNC. We didn't make those decisions. They made those decisions behind closed doors and said, hey, we've already made the decision as to who you're going to decide. Just like when you go to the supermarket, we made the decision as to what you get to choose. We chose what you're going to choose. And this is what we have that fits on the shelf. And then you go, huh? And then depending on who you are, what you are and how you're informed or how you're living your life based on your own philosophies, et cetera, et cetera, you make choices, whether, whether it's the best choice or the worst choice, regardless. So what parents could do and can say, you know what? We got a group of guys. If you, if, if you have a daughter, like here are three boys that we think are suitable for you. And these are the reasons why we think they're suitable. Your thoughts. Which one would you choose out of these three? And if you wouldn't choose zero, who would you choose and why? You can do that. But I'm saying, and, and then you can do the same to a boy. Like, listen, 
You're about to reach a certain age. This is that. And the third, we notice that these are your strengths. These are your weaknesses. These are your propensities. This is your attitude. This is the added. This is what we think. This is who we think would uh, uh, suit you personality wise based on your profession. You seem to go away a lot and you're going to need someone, a woman who is sort of self-sustaining and can be OK with you being away on business trips and still be able to be competent and help take care of the family. We'll be there for her and this, that and the third. Or you're someone who spends a lot of time at home. So you're going to need someone who you you are agreeable with in a domiciled setting, et cetera, et cetera. Based on your personality and all of these things, this these are the two, three, four names that we think these are the women that we think would be suitable for you to marry and procreate with. And if you do not choose any of them, we'd like to know. So these are the three. Which one would you choose and why? And if not, who would you choose and why? I'm saying is that that may sound unreasonable. That may sound hilarious. But we're leaving our human <laughs> species up to chance. How's that working out for us? You think it's working out for us? but you don't understand that most of our existence as human beings has been what I just spoke about. Most of it, even in the Caribbean in, in the early 20th century, you know, my mom told me, bless her heart. She said, if she was still living in Haiti with her mom and dad, and she was still in the village when she was at the age to marry, there's no way that they would have chosen my dad for her and it's not because my dad wasn't a good guy because my dad is a good guy you know my dad's a good dude you know but not a good match based on personalities they weren't and now that i'm at the age where he was when he was with my mom i can see like whoa my dad didn't make i i've years and years now i've realized my dad didn't they you know mom shouldn't have married dad and dad in turn shouldn't have married mom they that that didn't make for a long lasting sustained till death do us part dynamic. Whoa. So what I'm saying is even as early as the, even right now, I have friends of mine that are Muslim, good friends of mine. I remember I used to work with a guy. He's um from India, from Mumbai, and his wife was arranged marriage. The families. She, you know, luckily for him, she's beautiful. And he told me, he said, I love her, but I'm not in love with her. And I was just like, hey, they have two gorgeous kids and blah, 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 and all of that stuff. And people are saying, oh, they're living a torturous life. And, oh, that's so sad. You know what's sad? Let me not go there. I'll save that. <clears throat> I'll save that one. But there are a lot of things that are going on that are sad that wouldn't be in our society if we were truly acting like a village. We were holding the woman, the man, the families and the communities accountable. A lot of things that are going on in many communities in this country would be eradicated tomorrow night. If we were to implement some of the things that I've just mentioned that are from yesteryear that brought us to a point where we actually have a civilization. All of those rich, wealthy, propertied families and bank owning families, regardless of how they got their wealth or accumulated it through ill it could be ill-gotten gains i get it however when those families when these families are waiting to get into a public into a proper school and doing this that and the third they're not just doing that to increase their child's chances of getting a good job no they're increasing their child's chances of being coupled with someone with the same standards protocols norms 
philosophies and traditions that they want propagated. It's aligning, coupling, increasing the likelihood. What do you guys think about that? Is that off base? That's eugenics to a certain degree. We're, we're all involved in it. Or, or dare I say, enough of us aren't involved in positive eugenics. Enough of us are not involved, leaving this procreation game to chance. Is it going to fare well? I'm going to say something. I don't like this phrase because it was used in a different context. But there is a surplus of freedom when it comes to these relationships. I don't like that phrase only because it could seem like an oxymoron to some. Like, oh, wait, but there's no such thing as a surplus of freedom. Yes, there is. There is a, sur there is a such thing as a surplus of freedom. If you're on the speedway right now, if, I'm sorry, if you're in a school zone going 100 miles an hour because you're like, there's no posted speed limit because I'm free to drive at any speed that I want, then guess what? That's a surplus of freedom that you maybe shouldn't have. Or the, the, kid is, the kid is on the sidewalk saying, I don't have to walk on the sidewalk. I don't have to cross on the green. I can cross in between. I can do what I want. So meanwhile, you have a kid running around with no rules due to a surplus of freedom. You have a driver driving around with no rules with a surplus of freedom. That's a disaster waiting to happen. Just saying. The reason why I don't like that term surplus of freedom is it goes back to something that was said in the 1960s and 70s by a political theorist who didn't like the civil rights movements and the various movements that were occurring in the United States that were looking to fundamentally change certain machinations in the United States government and its apparatus and how it ran. And he said, America is suffering right now from a surplus of freedom. I forgot the man's name, but I'll get it to you if you really want it. And I hated that statement. Because that's what it was. And that's why so many men and so many women were assassinated, incarcerated, marginalized, exiled, and ostracized around that time. Because of the surplus of freedom. You had presidents that were assassinated because they started exercising a certain freedom. You lost presidents, presidential candidates, everyone. And all of that was under the, there's too much freedoms going on. Surplus of freedom. So I'm not a big fan of that phrase. However, in this context, I'm willing to employ it and say maybe, just maybe, when we look at all the things that are plaguing children today, we have more suicides in America now amongst young, young teens than we've ever had before. We have an increase in, in, in childhood and teenage obesity, teenage pregnancy, all of these things. Brand new. New, new, new phenomenons due to the surpluses of freedom. And I'm... and, and and, and I know some people who listen to me and I know many of my friends that are on the religious right got their fists up like, yeah, June. And you guys know that I'm not a, a right wing conservative, blah, blah, blah. I'm speaking about the human species that goes back to Africa before we had a Republican Party, before we had Democrats, before there was a Trump or a Biden, before there was anybody who looked like Trump or Biden on Earth. These were traditions that were occurring, whether it was in the village or whether it was in, the, in, in, in Pharaoh's castle and Pharaoh's fortress. Didn't matter if you were a farmer or you were Pharaoh. These were the practices. Just saying that led to villages, communities, civilizations. Just saying. Because when I look around now, 
and I, I look at what's going on in the world and I look at the metrics and the measurables and the statistics and the appearances and things that are going on. I'm saying, hey, um, we have to have a deeper and longer conversation about what we're doing right now. We've departed from certain things that actually work. They may have been rigid. They may have been stringent, but they were more effective than what's going on now. And being that I, ident I am identified as black in America, that's how I'm identified as. You know, if I walk down the street, all of you, if you look at my picture, that's how you'll identify. So just for conversation's sake, let's just say that's what I am, a black American. As a person who's identified as black and I'm born in America, I look at how a lot of these depart departures from standards and rigid standards and norms are disproportionately adversely affecting black American communities. And I use community very loosely because community means standards and norms and practices and shared values. And most of these people are just bunched up based on their race and socioeconomic status. So that's not that's not actual traditions. But anyway, those are sort of artificial constructs. Well, everything is somewhat of an artificial construct, but that's constructs that are oftentimes not of their own making. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. So when we look at the numbers of the amount of babies, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to call them babies fetuses that have been aborted in black neighborhoods or amongst the people who identify as black in their ranks. Hmm? And you see that there's about, what, what did they say? What was that number that I quoted to you guys based on this study? It said uh, 19 million black fetuses and altogether 54 million. And even though they're four, 12 to 13 percent or 14 percent of the population, they make up 36 percent of the majority of the actual abortion, abortive procedures. Will unwanted. And then you have Friedrich Osborne saying that, huh? I'm sorry. We want to make sure that babies are wanted. <sighs> We're only talking about the next generation and generations to come. Right. When we look at places like Japan and China, they think dynastically. I think that what's going on in the United States may have a lot to do with the fact that we don't think generationally. We think quarterly, like our corporations think about what they're going to make the next quarter in the United States. But a corporation in Japan and in Asia and other parts of the world, they think about where they're going to be in the next quarter century. That's a different kind of conversation. And are we going to be here for the next generation, the next quarter century, not the next quarter, not the next couple of months, but the next couple of hundred years, a couple of decades? It's a different conversation that you have. You move differently when you're not just thinking about your immediate wants, your whimsical wants. When you're thinking dynastically, when you're thinking that your last name means something and you want it to ring out for generation after generation, you're trying to ensure or at least you cannot ensure anything, but increase the likelihood of successful descendants. And if that is imbued in you at a young age, if you're instructed about how important you are dynastically, how the moves and the actions that what you do today can ring for a hundred years. Whoa, really? You think that maybe people wouldn't move the same way they're moving now? 
You think that people would be less random with some of the actions that they have? If we were all taught, me included in this conversation, if, if my family taught me that, what you, do will, what you do will have reverberations that go on for 100 years, for 500 years, for 1,000 years. That's what other families say. That's what the, that's what the, that's what the, um, the children of emperors hear, whether that emperor is in a, in a dynasty in Asia or is royalty in Europe or a royalty in Africa or from a wealthy family in, in, in the Middle East. That's what they heard. What you do today is going to reverberate a thousand million, 10 million days from today. What? So this is why you have to move this way and do this because you have a greater responsibility to your family, to your name, to your legacy, to the human family. Whoa, I guarantee you, I guarantee, listen, I guarantee you, you would see a significant improvement in Western society such as it is if we thought dynastically and not just quarterly. There's way, way, way too much emphasis on immediate instant gratification, drive through love and gratification, swipe left for, sh for a girl, swipe left for a boy, etc., etc. And meanwhile, you have more than half the population with STDs. You have 19 million uh, aborted fetuses amongst one community. You have 54 million. We, we, we're not going to have enough people to do the jobs. And we have a country that doesn't like immigrants and that doesn't like people who actually get it figured out. You know, who believe in family, who believe in the man, woman and child dynamic, who still believe in unions together, doing it together, where the woman still honors the man's position, not as a supplemental parent, but as an essential parent. We don't want those people coming into this country. Because interestingly enough, they come from browner countries. They come from poorer countries, but they still have those ideals and values. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your socio status, your economic status. If you have that value system, you can go from z doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But it's uh, ironically, the people who do have those value systems and traditional value systems and system and norms and strictors in place. It's like, oh, say no. We need to we need a quota. We need to have a different, we can't have them here. We need to, eugenics, they're, they're having too many babies on that side of the world. And, ooh, interesting. <clears throat> okay. Hmm. It's just something to think about, people. I know, it's, you know, I, this particular episode is, is interesting to me personally because I, I am I'm opening up my mind too, which I do in every episode. But this is interesting because I realize that we've all been practicing eugenics in one way, shape or form. And I realize that there's nothing wrong with there's nothing I can find really, truly wrong with positive eugenics. It all depends on what measurables that you're using, what biases that you're employing, because if we're talking about increasing likelihood based on just heritable characteristics, then it's like, OK, doesn't matter if the person's black, white, Asian, doesn't matter if they're Muslim, atheist, Christian, doesn't matter where they're from, Indian, native, Hispanic, doesn't matter. You're measurable. I'm looking at you now and you're measurables. Which boxes are you checking that I think are suitable 
for my child and for my village and, and what we're doing. And then I speak to your family. Your family speaks to me. And then we get to see who we came from. We are a product of our mom, dad, grandpa, what our mom and dad. We are a product of what our parents were taught. And they're a product of what their parents were taught. And their parents are a product of what their parents were taught. And their grandparents are. That's what we are. We're a product of what our parents were taught. And so they're only going by how they were raised oftentimes. For the most part, sometimes they deviated, sometimes they departed, but oftentimes their their life and how they teach us is based on how they were taught and so on and so on and so on. It's time to I think it's time to have a discussion, a conversation, a serious one about this surplus of freedom. Everyone's out there manifesting their truth and I'm just doing me, you do you and this, that and the third with no greater responsibility to the village that we all have to be a part of. If you end up raising a criminal, the only way that that person's a criminal is if they commit a crime upon me most likely and they, do, they commit a crime to, uh, upon someone in the village. You raise someone uh, who's a contributor, a positive con contributor, you raise a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, an engineer, a good teacher, a good cop, a good fireman, a good florist, a good kindergarten teacher, a good this. We all benefit. Countless people. Countless people benefit. That person becomes a law-abiding, tax-paying, contributing citizen. That tax dollar goes to people that they'll never meet. They're helping out people. You, a, a nurse, you know how many people a nurse helps when they help one patient and that patient gets better? You know how many people a good teacher helps when you inspire a young mind to go out there and do the best that they can and you tell that young mind and you convey to that young mind convincingly, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. You can be the greatest person ever and I will help you be that. And you do that, you know how many countless people, what you do, your positive contributions are exponential in nature and your negative contributions are exponential as well. You can negatively impact the world and you can negatively impact countless people that you'll never meet and it'll reverberate across the planet, little do you know. Look at me, little old me. Look how many places I've traveled to. And I've tried to leave a positive contribution. I went everywhere knowing that it was bigger than me before I even purchased a plane ticket, before I purchased a bus ticket, before I decided to go to that village or this village and that village. I knew that everything I did on that trip was bigger than me, was bigger than just my just whimsical, immediate wants. I knew it was bigger than me. I knew I was representing more than just June. And sometimes that's enough because I'm representing my bloodline. I'm representing my mom, my dad, my grandpa, my grandma, everyone else that shares my name and shares my blood. You're not here, but you are here in me. I have all of your genetic information. I'm here. Are we thinking like that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's a surplus of freedom and there's a deficit of shame. We have a shame deficit. There's no one around to shame this behavior. Shame is called bullying in 2022 America. Shame is bullying. We're bullying people. Oh, you're bullying. You're, you're, you're being too hard on them. Mm, okay. Okay. So you can't say, listen, 
that's unacceptable. No, can't say that. It depends on who says it. Oh, you, you, maybe someone on this side can say it and call it cancel culture. But if someone else on that side say it and this one says it, then they, they say, oh, you're, 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 an, you're a left-wing, lily-livered liberal, liberal. The other one will say, oh, you're just some uh, baby-booming, um, racist, transphobe, homophobe, um, traditional uh, misogynist. And uh, yeah, titles. Not looking at outcomes and desired outcomes. Just, just bandying about identity, political, derisive titles. Nonsense. Leads to no progress. We're evolving into something that's more complicated and is going to lead to more complications. But that doesn't mean evolution and progress are not the same thing. We're evolving into a more complicated system of relationships. Is it progress? Will we progress through this evolution? That's the, con that's the conversation. In any case, just thought I would uh, speak about these things. I'm actually going to purchase that book, man. I got, I, I actually, I'm waiting on that book now. Yeah, it's crazy. I just thinking about eugenics, I, I, this is a very controversial topic because um, when you think of eugenics, it's been inextricably linked to genocidal maniacs in America and in Europe like the Adolf Hitlers of the world. But then when I think about how we've all been enacting a certain level of eugenics, it's, it changes the conversation of, uh, uh, just a tad bit. Not their conversation. It doesn't put them in a better light, not even a little bit. I'm just speaking about us and the investment that we have to put in our species and uh, the alignments and coupling and how we are all invested in who marries whom and who decides to have a baby with whom because such and such has six three babies three different fathers because she can and then she's about to have a fourth one she couldn't take care of the other three those kids are going to grow up and steal my car those kids are going to grow up and be like yo your wallet's my wallet no and that may sound like some old man get off my lawn guy and i'm not i come from you know i at one point in my life people didn't want me on their lawn that's okay but what i'm saying is Someone, the village has to have a certain level of accountability. Everyone is responsible for these babies that are coming out. We can't just say you can do it by yourself and it's your body, your choice. Autonomy, this autonomy is getting us nowhere. It needs to be a conversation. You deciding to marry such a, or you decide to have a carry before marry or marry before carry or who you marrying and carrying, we're all affected. This person becomes a cop, this, an evil cop, an evil fireman, an evil business person robbing people. It becomes an evil political dictator. We're invested in these babies that come out. All of us and how and who, with, by whom. So we, these autonomous sort of simple phrases, I'm saying we may need, we, we have to revisit them. That's all I'm saying. In any case, <laughs> wow, I think if I were to listen back to everything I said here, I would probably delete this, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm going to publish this and I will deal with what comes and I'm ready for any and all conversations on this subject. Until next time.